So the rest of us, could we turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40? And this is found on page 712. And uh, we'll read from verse 1, Isaiah 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Well, keep your Bible open and we will pray before we consider this word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you that your word is so true and so accurate about our condition and about life as it is in this world. But thank you also that it is so encouraging about you, the living and almighty God. And we pray, Lord, that as we consider your word now, you will speak to us. Lord, please help me. Please strengthen me. Help me to do good to my 
brothers and sisters here and friends here. And please, Lord, would you feed them, encourage them, help them, strengthen them. And Lord, uh, please, would you help us, move us to love you better, to serve you better, and to live our lives for you in this coming year as you'd have us to do so. And we pray, Lord, that uh, if there are any that do not yet know Christ, you will move them to come to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought this, that this morning as we stand on the brink of a new year, it would be helpful for us to consider these verses from Isaiah chapter 40 and particularly verses 6 to 8 from that reading, which speak to us about the brevity of life and the permanence of the Word of God and of all that is achieved by the Word of God. If you've been attending the services here at Poplar Baptist Church for a few years, you may well have heard me speak from these verses before. But even if you have heard me speak from these verses before, I don't think it'll do you any harm to be reminded of them. For the simple reason that the Bible constantly repeats this theme that we have in these verses, which is the brevity of life. I hope to show you some other places in the scriptures which talk also about the brevity of life and also because this is something that we constantly need to be reminded about the world and all the influences around us will all say to us and the devil will say to us you've got years yet enjoy yourself Build a great house for yourself. Build a great dynasty for yourself. Do this and that. Enjoy yourself. And we so easily forget, like the rich fool in Jesus' parable, tonight could be the night that our soul is required from us and we go to be with the Lord. And we just need to be reminded again that our life is just a breath. We're here today and gone tomorrow. I'm sure many of us will have said, well, where did that year go, 2023? That seems only like yesterday that it was Christmas 2022. And we've passed Christmas 2023. We've got a, a, dawn, a dawn of a new day, a new year. Yes, life is flipping past, isn't it? really fast and soon our lives will be over now um, I think New Year's Eve is a particularly appropriate time for us to consider these themes we can look back on the previous year we of course we we've lost loved ones haven't we this last year 
in our church here. We lost our dearly beloved sister, Bernice. And I know that some of you have lost dear, dear loved ones this last year. And we do not know what the coming year might bring. Uh, we do not know um, what will happen in Eastern Europe. Will this turn into a nuclear conflagration? We don't know. Uh, we don't know what would happen in around the Far East with China and Taiwan. Will, will there be some great war between China and, and the rest of the world? Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East. Will there be a, a great escalation there and, and, and um, the, the West find itself at war with Iran and perhaps other, other countries? We don't know. Uh, we don't know if there could be some other plague. Who predicted COVID? Well, we don't know what else there might be. We don't know if there might be some complete breakdown of the internet. Have you ever thought what would happen if the internet ceased to, to, to function, even just for a few hours? Everything would drive up. Transport, shops, uh, electricity, water, Everything would cease immediately or very, very quickly. Our lives are just hanging by a thread. At any moment, we can be swept away. And so we do need to be reminded of the brevity of life. And what I find so encouraging about the Bible is the Bible tells us about life as it actually is. There are people who will tell you, oh, if you believe in God, you'll never suffer. You'll never be poor. You'll never be bereaved. All your diseases will be healed. But actually, when you read the Bible, it tells us that something different. It tells us life is hard in this life. And it's that's not a surprise. And it, I, I just love the way the Bible is so real, so true to life. But what is so also very encouraging is that as well as being brutally honest, let's take it, let's be frank, brutally honest about the hardness of life, the Bible is also very encouraging. Because it says, yes, life is hard, Life can be, it is short, and even in those few years that we do have, we have all sorts of aches and pains and difficulties and sorrows and heartaches. But, if you believe in God, you are in the hands of the unchanging, eternal God. God is your refuge and your strength. There's everything collapses all around you the city of God remains and that's the great thing so um, but let me just just before we go into the, the details of this let me just set the, the, these verses in the context Isaiah chapter 40 is one of those great texts of the Bible it's, it's, if, you, if you're not familiar with this chapter I would encourage you to spend time in this chapter. 
read this chapter over again, over and over, dwell on it, meditate on it. Because it, it, is a great, it, it, it is, has been a great source of comfort to the people of God down through the ages. Now, the situation that this is written into is that Isaiah was a prophet who was alive and who, who ministered about a hundred years before Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem. And he was enabled by God to know that these events were going to happen. He was even enabled to know by God the name of the Persian emperor who would subsequently command that Jerusalem should be restored. That's in, in, in chapter 45. He actually names Cyrus. 100 years, 140 years before, 170 years before he existed. That's not a problem to God. And God knew that when Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Babylonians, that this would, people would feel that their whole world had fallen apart. His people would feel, well, God's abandoned us. There's no more any worship of God in Jerusalem. There's no, there's no worship of God anymore. The, 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 our, whole, our entire world has, has completely disintegrated. God has abandoned us. And if you look towards the end of, the, of chapter 40, just look at verse 27. He knew they'd be saying, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. That's what it would feel like to them. They'd feel like, well, God has abandoned us. God has forgotten us. And God says, and God, knowing that they would feel that way, he inspires this wonderful chapter of comfort for the people of God. Opening with those lovely words. Comfort, comfort my people. Chapter 40, verse 1. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And through this passage, God gives reason after reason after reason why the people of God should be comforted. One reason he mentions is that he himself is going to come and visit his people. And uh, you see this, um, verse 6, sorry, uh, verse, verse 3, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. God's going to come. And of course, if you know your, your Bible, you'll know that that was fulfilled by John the Baptist, who was the voice in the desert, saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And the Lord for whom he was preparing was Jesus. So this tells us that Jesus is Jehovah, Yahweh, who came to visit the people of God. Now, so here in these, and then in the, later on in the chapter, he talks about the sheer greatness of God, far greater than, than, the, than, 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 than creation, far greater than idols, far greater than, than, the, than the, the great princes of this world. Our God is the great God. And that's why you don't need to worry. And he's the God who cares for his people. Uh, 
Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and gather his lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So with this marvelous combination of mighty power and tender love and concern. So God says, look, don't worry. I'm looking after you. I'm keeping you safe. Now in that context, here are these words which speak about the brevity of life and the permanence of the word of God. And I'd like to consider these verses under three headings. First of all, life is short and difficult. Secondly, why life is short and difficult. And then thirdly, God's word, by contrast, lasts forever. So let's then, first of all then, think about this. Life is short and difficult. Let's read verse 6 again. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And it's all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And then look at the end of verse 7. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. Think of, of how short-lived grass is, particularly, of course, in a, a region like Israel. You get the spring rains and the grass grows up and it, it looks very luscious, very green. But then within a few weeks, the spring rains give way to the dry heat of summer and that grass becomes parched and it dies back. It's just, just brown stubble. Or think of, it also likens, likens us to flowers. You go to the florist or you order some flowers online and, and these flowers arrive and they look so beautiful. But within just a few days, the petals are starting to fall off. And within a week or two, you're having to throw them away, put them in the bin. And that's how, that's what this passage is saying. That's what we are like. We are like that grass. We are like those flowers. We start off as a young baby, very sweet, very beautiful. Grow to be children, then grow to adults. Before we know where we are, we're 21 years old, at our peak of beauty and, and strength. And then from then on, it's all downhill, isn't it? The gray hairs start to, 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 to grow. The eyesight starts to fail. The aches and pains start to, heart, to start to happen. We grow weaker. Various illnesses start to develop. And then by the time we're about 70, eight, maybe 80 if we're, if, we're, if we're fortunate, we are 
ready to die. That's how things are. And not only is this true about our bodies, it's also true about our possessions. You know, we've just had Christmas, haven't we? And all sorts of very nice things will have been given out. I wonder how many of those things will still be in our possession in a year's time. Some of them, of course, got eaten straight away. <laughs> so they were gone very quickly. The chocolates and the cakes and whatever. But what about the other things? The watches, the gadgets, the mobile phones, the clothing. How many of those things will you still have in your possession in a year's time? Or two years' time? Or ten years' time? Not many. They'll soon be gone. They'll break, or you'll get tired of them. And that thing you're so thrilled with will soon be gone. And this is true also for things that we buy for ourselves. We, 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 we save up, we, we research, do our research, and we think, okay, I'm going to make this purchase. We make this purchase. Oh, it's so wonderful, we say. But before long, it loses its appeal. And then it starts to break. You think, ah, it's no good. Get rid of it. Get something else. That's the way things are, isn't it, in this world? And this, this is not the only passage of Scripture which talks to us about the brevity of life. We read earlier in our service from Psalm 90. Uh, let me just repeat back to you a few of those verses that we read earlier. Verse 5, you sweep men away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening it fades and withers. Or verse 10 of Psalm 90. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Or verse Psalm 103, verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. Its place remembers it no more. So life is very short, very transitory. Now, what should be the effect upon our lives of these truths? Well, the first thing to say is this. The knowledge that we could die at any moment should move any of us who are here today or who listen to this, who are not yet saved, to seek God urgently and ask him to save you. You see, none of us knows when our time will be. If, if we knew, okay, well, our life was short, but at least we knew the day that we were going to die, we said, okay, well, by that date... I need to get right with God. But you don't know that date, and neither do I. It could be today. It could be tonight. It could be within a week. It could be within a month. You don't know. And so, given that to be unsaved is such a calamity, because you land up spending all of eternity in hell, you can't risk having a single 
hour outside of Christ. Apart from which, anyway, anything you do without being united to Christ is a waste of time anyway. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're achieving nothing. Every moment you're not saved, you're achieving nothing. But more than that, you don't know when you will die. So it's really important to come to Christ while you have the opportunity. Secondly, for those of us who are saved, knowing that life is very short and uncertain should lead us to want to make the very best use of every moment that God has given to us. You are never going to get the time that you've spent ever again. Once you've spent that time, it's gone, it's finished. It'll never come back to you. That psalm again, in Psalm 90, it says towards the end, doesn't it? Teach us to number our days. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Days are evil. Not got long. So snatch every moment you've got for good. Use each moment you've got to glorify God. It's so easy to waste time, isn't it? So easy to fritter away. Surfing the net or watching movies or idle conversation. But once that time is gone, you'll never get it back. So make the best use of every moment you have. Thirdly, the knowledge that our lives are very short and uncertain should, and that our possessions will be destroyed should lead those of us who are saved to live as simply as we can and to be as generous as possible with our possessions and with our money. Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither, neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do we store up treasure in heaven? Well, we store up treasure in heaven by giving away our earthly money and giving it to others who are in need or giving it for the Lord's work as much as we can. The more we do that, the more we store up treasure in heaven. Of course, we, there are some expenditures we do need to make, of course. We shouldn't deprive our family of, 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 of what it needs, of course. But where we, where we can, we should, we should, Jesus urges us to store up treasure in heaven and then another thing is this that for those of us who are saved we need to be careful not to love the world yes of course we should give thanks to God for this world we can enjoy this world it's a false spirituality that says oh no no don't enjoy anything that's wrong this world has been created by God and it's to be received with thanksgiving But we, we enjoy, yes. But we don't love. There's a difference. 
We say, oh, thank you, Lord. As we enjoy whatever it is, we, oh, thank you, Lord, I'm really enjoying this. But we don't love this world. We don't set our hearts on things of this world. John writes in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So that's the first thing. Life is short and difficult. Secondly, I want us to see from this passage why our lives are short or difficult. So let's go back again to Isaiah 40 and just look at, the next, at that verse again. Uh, I'll read verse 6 and go on into verse 7. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. The breath of the Lord. It's God who is causing this world to be short and difficult. People say, oh, it's the devil. It's the devil who sends suffering. Well, not really, actually. It's the judgment of God. This world, says Paul, Romans, 4, Romans 8, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the choice of the one who subjected it. Who was that? God! Yes, it was Adam who enti- who, sorry, yes, it was the devil who enticed Adam to sin, but who was it who brought the curse? God! God said to Adam, "By the sweat of your brow, you shall bring forth fruit, fruit from the earth, until you die, for dust you are unto dust you shall return." That's God saying that. And to the woman, "In pain you shall bring forth your, ch- your, your children." God said it. And the way it's described here is like a, like a wind, a hot wind. Now, um, Ed's uh, sister lives in Sicily. And um, if you talk to her, she'll talk about this dreaded hot wind, the Scirocco wind, which happens sometimes. It comes off, up off the Sahara the Sahara Desert, because Sicily's not that far from, from North Africa. And this hot Shikoro wind comes off the Sahara, and it's, 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 it's blasting hot, dry air. And it goes through your house, it goes through everything. There's no escaping this hot, hot wind. And everything just dries up. Everything dies in the, in the path of this hot wind. Well, that's a description of God. The breath of the Lord blows. This hot wind blows. And everything is with it in its, in, in its path. And that psalm that I quoted earlier, read earlier, Psalm 90, again, it doesn't just say, oh, these things happen. It says, God is doing these things. Let, let, here again, some of those verses. Verse 3 of Psalm 90 
you, this is talking to God, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, for all our days pass away under your wrath. And we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It's God who's bringing our lives to an end. But surely somebody might say, surely we who believe we've been saved from our sins. Surely doesn't God say in Jeremiah, I will forgive their sins and remember their iniquities no more. So how can these verses say that we're, we're under the wrath of God? That doesn't tie up. It seems to be a, a contradiction. And this is where we need to understand the timing of God's redemption. It's really important we understand this. So many Christians get confused on this point. They say, well, I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I'm no longer under the curse. Well, yes and no. What we need to understand is that God's salvation comes at different points in different times. So when a person first believes in Christ, he or she is immediately redeemed from his or her sins and immediately comes into fellowship with God and immediately knows the grace of God and is treated in that sense, as someone who is completely without sin. But when it comes to the physical consequences of sin, that's something which is not yet. The redemption of our bodies is future. So we have a spiritual redemption now and a future physical redemption at the resurrection. And we are now in the in-between gap between the, between, well, we're still living in this evil age when the curse is still on this age and there's still the results of sin in the world that we're living in. We're looking for the age to come. So we've got a foretaste of glory through the Spirit. We have the indwelling Spirit saying there's more to come. You've got the joy, the peace, the love of God now, but this isn't all. It's coming, the full thing is coming in the future. And where so many Christians go wrong is they say, oh, well, look, you're redeemed. You're a child of God. So you can expect full healing now, resurrection life now. And then they get disappointed because their prayers for healing for themselves or for their loved ones often don't materialize. Now, Paul speaks about this in Romans 8. You might want to just, just turn with me to Romans 8 because I think it's so clear in that passage, Romans 8. And uh, verse 18, page 1122, he says, For I consider that the, presence, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. This is what I, that's the verse I referred to just now. In the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that while that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only so, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see? We know the love of God. We're the children of God. God has promised us his glory, but that's not yet been revealed. We haven't yet got the redemption of the body. We're still living under the curse. But we're hoping for that day when suffering will be completely eradicated. Well, what, what lessons can we take from this then? That, that this this. The, the difficulty and suffering of this world is due to the wrath of God against sin. Well, the first thing to say is this. This reinforces the point that I made earlier. If you are not yet saved, you need to get saved fast. You see, if this is what God is doing to us physically now, What's he going to do in hell? What's hell going to be like? People say, oh, oh, this is hell now. Oh, what a load of rubbish. You've got all sorts of lovely things now. But when Jesus comes again, all the nice things you've been enjoying will be stripped away. And then it really will be hell. If it's bad enough now, Think what it will be like on that day. And get right with God quickly. Another thing, though, for those of us who are saved is this. The fact that God is still showing his wrath against men physically for their sins, shouldn't that cause us to fear God? show respect to God? Shouldn't it, that educate us to, as to how he hates sin in your life as a Christian? Yes, you're saved, but do you think God is neutral about your disobedience? Do you think he doesn't mind about your greed or your lust or your, your pride or your rudeness to people or your disobedience to your parents? Do you think God doesn't care about that? Of course he does. Peter says, if it's time 
uh, uh, he says it's time for judgment to begin with the household of faith. We ourselves are being disciplined by God. And we should fear him. But then also there's an application which is that we should be patient. Yes, we are feeling the discipline of God upon us physically. But be patient because one day soon Jesus will come again. And it will be over. Look forward to that day if you're a Christian. Now, let's come on then to the third thing. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40. We've seen that this world is short, this life is short and difficult. We've seen why it is short and difficult because this world is under God's wrath. But then we see also something else, something very encouraging. Which is that although, the wor- although this world is so short, this life is so short and so transitory, God's word is permanent. So let's just read these verses again. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the beauty of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but... I love it when the Bible has the word, but... But the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God stands forever. Yes, this world is very transitory. Yes, our lives are very short. Yes, all our possessions come and go. But the word of our God stands forever. And that's true in terms of all that the word of God says. All it says about God, all it says about about how we should live, all it says about Christ, all it says about salvation. The word of God stands forever. Nothing changes. Nothing is ever disproved. What the word of God says about God stands forever. Was God faithful yesterday? Well, he's still faithful today. Was he loving yesterday? Well, he's still loving today. Is he holy yesterday? Well, he's still holy today. God doesn't change. And what it says about what God has said he's going to do doesn't change. Did God say a few thousand years ago that He's going to do one thing. Well, is, does he change his mind? Does he, oh, oh no, I've thought, I've thought about that. No, I'm not going to do that after all. No, of course not. That's the difference between God and us, isn't it? Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No, God's word stands. He keeps his promises. Is he, did Jesus say he's going to come again? Oh, oh, I've changed my mind, I'm not going to come again. He said, oh, he's going to send the wicked to hell. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that after all. No. What he said is going to happen is going to happen. And also, what God says about what is right and wrong does not change. God's law does not change. 
Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. What God has said is right doesn't change. Now, when I was growing up in the 1960s, there were these certain clergymen, bishops, who started talking about a new morality. <laughs> new morality, my foot. There is no new morality. There is God's enduring word. Oh, oh, we don't think homosexuality is wrong anymore. It's changed. No, 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 no. God's word is still there. Oh, it's not wrong to sleep with your girlfriend anymore. Well, society might not think that, but God's words doesn't say that. God's law does not change. As Jesus said, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What Jesus said, it's, not going, it's never going to change. It's going to stand, it stands forever. Isaiah 55 verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and does not return but to water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God's word stands. What he has intended for that word to do, it will happen. And it's lovely the way that Peter quotes this verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. You might just have a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we'll read from verse 22, page 1203. He says, having purified your souls, 1 Peter 1 verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, here's the quotation from Isaiah 40, all flesh is grass and it's, all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's word remains forever. And you, if you're a Christian, you've been born again of that living and enduring word of God. And that's why you can't die as a Christian. That's why you have eternal life. If you're a believer, you have a life which cannot be extinguished because you've been born again of the living and enduring word of God. So what lessons can we learn from this last section? Well, 
Don't imagine that you can change morality. You can't. Also, don't be carried away by any claimed new ideas about God or new revelations. Oh, you know, so-and-so has a revelation. Oh, we've always thought God is like this, but no, someone's had a vision and now we've all got to believe something else. No, no, no. God's word remains. It doesn't change. But also, if you're not a Christian, don't imagine that God doesn't mean what he says. A lot of people, they whistle and they're, oh, of course. Oh, well, I know it says that in the Bible. It won't really happen. Yes, it will. Is that what it says? It's going to happen. And if you are a Christian, be encouraged. Your inheritance is safe. Your future is safe. It's guaranteed by God, whose word does not change. You're secure in him. The whole of society may completely collapse all around you. But you're safe in the arms of Jesus. And that's the thing which matters. Well, we're going to sing um, our final hymn now. Um, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear which is number 748 748 in the in the uh,